Welcome to our newest episode of the Lebanese Physicians Podcast. And today we'll be discussing the matching process and also touch on uh, how people feel uh, or how people can navigate uh, the internship year, which is a very hard year for uh, all trainees to, uh, to start navigating. And uh, today we have a special guest, actually, Dr. Uh, Sara Al-Halabi, who is a very active, we can say, trainee. She graduated her medical school from the American University of Beirut Medical Center, and she did a year uh, at the, the Department of Ethics at UB afterwards. Uh, she's also a poet. She's a writer, and she actually did a master's in the Department of Narrative Medicine at Columbia University in New York City. Uh, she has been through the matching process and has written extensively about it, given the fact that she's a writer. And she's also uh, writing about her internship process at this point. And currently, she's an intern at the Westchester Medical Center close to uh, New York City. Welcome, Sarah, to the podcast. Thank you, Khalil, for having me. And just to tell the the viewers and the listeners that we are recording this podcast uh, today on August 4, 2021. Uh, and therefore, we will we would like to observe a, a moment of silence for the big victims of the Beirut last before we start. Yeah, so Sarah, I, I think I mean this was this was a big day. I think you were there at the time it happened, right? Uh, I was actually not in Beirut at the time, um, and I cannot speak to the experiences of the people who were there uh, beyond you know through storytelling. If you want to say, right. uh, I just feel that this blast has had a very demoralizing and generally traumatic effect on all of us. Of course, to some people who were in the physical immediacy of it more so, but today was a very very difficult day. I was I was I was in Beirut at the time. I had not left the country yet, and uh, uh, I can attest to the impact that day has had on me. But let's focus on the positives, I think, and hopefully things will uh, will get better uh, soon in Lebanon, and and hopefully uh, uh, we will we we, uh, we will be able to move ahead and and one find out why it happened, and and also. Uh, uh, help the country because I think this would be very important to to help the country move forward. We need to know what caused this so people can get over this at least or get over part of this and know that there has been accountability and then move forward afterwards. Yeah, yeah, Khalil, it dawns upon me. You know, I was just thinking as I was walking home uh, this afternoon that you know I'm in the process of becoming a mental health uh, practitioner, and so much of mental health is constructed outside psychiatry and outside psychology and outside social work and all of these all of these active fields because so much of what stresses people and makes them uh, makes their life difficult is is not controlled by us and therefore justice dawns upon me as a crucial element of mental health and and mental welfare people cannot thrive cannot feel like they're respected as human beings if they do not feel like they are heard so right I agree 100 percent. Uh, and I think we're going to start now, but I, but since we're doing a podcast today, I would, I, I've listened, I, I think everybody should listen to the Lebanese Politics podcast, actually. They had a very good episode uh, this week about the blast and its, uh, and its causes, 
And actually, they, they delve into the Human Rights Watch report on, on the whole process and, and how corruption was involved in this. And I think it's a must-listen for a lot of people this week. So uh, I'm going to ask you now, we're going to get into the, the match process itself. And it's a big process, right? Like, oh, <laughs> don't remind me of those days, but... <laughs> So, I mean, you go through the match and decide, okay, I'm going to go through the match. How do you navigate that? Like, how do you start? Where do you start? Beautiful question, Khalil. Allow me just first to clarify that I have tweeted about the match, but I don't, I don't have a booklet. I don't have a, a poem about the match, but it's a thought process. So I have thought extensively about the match and written in the form of tweets and about interview, which we will get to. So yeah, it was uh, particularly overwhelming. And I think it's not possible to talk about the match without talking about myself as a person first, because we each come to the match with an identity, right? With stuff that's going on in our lives. So at the time I was a student at Columbia, I was switching from an F1 to an F1 OPT, which is an optional practical training to extend my stay on the student visa. And the Beirut blast had happened. I was applying. I was doing my steps while in grad school and the, it was a big, you know, COVID. So everything was really piling up. And then, um, you know, we had the announcement that it would be the first virtual match, which I think has a very particular nuance. And we'll talk about that if you'd like. Uh, but the biggest advice that I'd have from the get-go is a two-part advice. First of all, be strategic. So it would be very helpful for you to partner up with someone who's already been through the match. And I, th I think people in this cycle have that extra privilege because we've been through that virtual match. So it's not like things are happening the first, very first time in a virtual world. So that's a plus. So partner up with someone who knows the steps to uh, save you time. And But also just take it day by day because I found myself in the early days of the match really trying to project forward with the organization but it stressed me out. And so I decided I'm going to take it one day at a time, one interview at a time. And I think that's very crucial. Yep, I agree with that. I think you have to be strategic. Otherwise, you would get overwhelmed very quickly if you don't do that. And, and then how do you decide? I mean, you go, you want to apply for psychiatry, right? And you, you go in, there's like a million programs to apply to. How do you decide which programs you want to apply to? Because at, at the end of the day, I mean, the more you apply, probably the more interviews you're going to get, maybe, and the higher your chance of matching, at the same time, you're paying massive amounts of money, uh, which may be counterproductive uh, yeah. for you in that case. Yeah, again, a very wonderful question, Khalil. So I think there is a tipping point to at which applying more is actually applying less because it doesn't have any, um, any proper uh, backflow to you, if that's even the right word. So I think, first of all, it just will boil down, not to sound very cheesy, but it will really boil down to individual preferences. Uh, some people will, will say to you, there is no way that I want to live on this part of the country for whatever reason, because maybe it's too far from family or they just don't want to live there. So first of all, I would say no, if you're a geographic location kind of person before you start eliminating other factors, because that's an easy way to cut down the number of programs you want to apply to. And if you don't have a geographical preference, the second piece of advice I would say is, okay, find programs that are IMG friendly. Now, how do you do that? It's not like there's a registry that says, oh, these programs are IMG friendly, right? And it's very specialty dependent. Psych is, is becoming more competitive for IMGs, right? Other specialties are more IMG friendly. So I can't speak to all specialties, but having said that, uh, what I did was that I went to Frida, which is the residency navigation tool. 
And I looked up, I went through the filters. So I looked at the programs that offer visas because some programs will not, will not offer visas. And then I cross uh, compared that to ERAS. So I took the list of programs. I had them out like on an Excel sheet and I looked at them up through ERAS to make sure that I didn't miss anything. And I went and I did the opposite. That, of course, having said that, is very time extensive uh, and not very helpful if you're the one doing it. But if someone has already done it in the previous cycle or uh, you're partnering up with a buddy, that will make your life much easier. You could split according to state or whatever. And then when I went when I went on doing is saying, okay, maybe I don't want to apply to these places. Maybe uh, for for you know personal reasons that it's too far or that you know I prefer living on the east coast. I was already in the east coast at the time. And I kind of narrowed down. I will be honest and say, I might have applied to a bit more programs than I would have liked to because it was the first virtual cycle and I wasn't very comfortable sticking to like 50 programs or 60 programs. So I did apply to a bit more than that. Uh, but I don't think it made a big difference. So every person will tell you, yeah, we applied to 60, yeah, we applied to 70. And it's an unfortunate thing, and I have to put it out there, that the number of programs per person applied to have increased over time and not to any significant benefit. So this is a, a, a national problem here that I don't necessarily have the answer to. Right, and I think it, might, it may also be due to the fact that it's getting harder for IMGs to match in the US due to the increased number of US medical students. So maybe IMGs are starting to apply to more programs just to increase their uh, matching uh, abilities, I guess. Uh, and do you apply, when you apply, do you, do you focus, let's say, I want to apply just university programs, just community programs, or should people apply to a combination of both programs, I guess, to get their uh, bid to be better? Great question. So it really depends on your preference. I know some friends who applied to psychiatry before who would really, really want university programs. And I know some people who applied to both. I, in fact, was part of the people who applied to both. I wasn't necessarily too hung up on uh, applying to a university program, but let me tell you this, the majority of my interviews have been a with university program affiliated hospitals that just, I, I got some community affiliated hospitals with a distant university collaboration, but I got a big chunk of university hospitals. And I also got a big chunk of public uh, people who, universities that engaged in something called public psychiatry which is basically where uh, visits are covered and the, e and the ER is a very big ER and open ER. And that's not a very accurate definition of public psychiatry, I'm sure. But the um, bottom line is that people, is that they would cover a lot of patients' visits. So people would walk in from every walk of life. I got a lot of those uh, places as well. Um, so there will, be a, there will be a profile that you get if you're applying to psychiatry just because some states are more have more IMGs and some places historically are more um, used to accepting IMGs. Right, right. right. And I, I think that's, that's one, one focus people should focus on is if you know programs that take IMGs or states that are more IMG friendly, then you should focus on applying to those because then you maximize your chances of matching. I mean, sometimes some states or some programs who never take IMGs, maybe you should not apply to them because you're going to be paying money for no reason in that case. And, and that question comes up a lot, I think. And one more question I'm going to say before we, two more questions before we move into the internship process. One is, I mean, we're not going to go delve too much into the interview process, but I think this year probably was different because of virtual interviews. So what was your experience with virtual interviews? Because they also seem to be what's going to happen next year 
I think a lot of them are going to be virtual interviews. So what was your experience with those? And do you think of them positively or negatively and why? So I think a, a good strategy when a change happens, like a, a big change, like, oh, virtual interview season is to always try to think of it as a positive change. Because hey, you have you really don't have any options, right? I mean, it's going to be a virtual interview season, uh, so you might as well try to look at the things that you can take from it. And having said that, I felt like I really enjoyed the virtual interview season. There was a lot of convenience, so I was. I'm going to be honest. Being Lebanese at the time, I was broke, so I didn't have that much money to spend on a lot of things. So travel expenses were cut, so that was a beautiful thing. Uh, I could arrange interviews, not necessarily all in the same couple of days. So I had more flexibility. And really simply, I could just show up from my regular desk, working desk, and take like a 15-minute break and start the interview, which is very convenient, right? Um, and you're in the comfort of your own house, which I think is a stress reduction technique in itself. Um, and I had wonderful discussions, regardless of the programs I interviewed with. I just had a lot of great discussions. And uh, and I feel when you bring your best self to the table, um, your best and true self to the table, you will be met with the same. Right. And, and, and do you think you were able to get a good idea about the programs uh, via virtual interviews? Or do you think you could have gotten a better idea if you were there in person? It's hard to say because I've never done a resident residency interview that was in person. I've done other kinds of interviews in person, but I will say uh, that the program that I matched into that I am very happy I matched into pretty much, I was like pretty much right on the vibes. I, I think that I got on interview day and I'm happy here. So if that helps. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think, I think you, you mentioning the cost cutting of not traveling and stuff is yeah. really important because I, I still recall one day when I was interviewing for my fellowship, actually, and uh, I got to uh, the University of Virginia. I remember I did the interview, went to, uh, at my time, I'm, you know, I'm older than you, much older, I guess. And at the time, you had to pay taxis cash to go to the airport. So I went to draw cash from the ATM and just to find out that I did not have any money. So I had to scramble. I found like a check in my in my pocket, and so I paid I paid a check, and then I had to pay, of course, a penalty for it afterwards. But I mean, this is what we deal with when you're in residency or medical school. You don't have the money to do all these interviews. So my next question for you is: After you've done your interviews, like how do you decide on the ranking process? Like what what makes you rank a program one, two, three? Is it the vibes that you get from it? Is it other th- other factors that weigh into this? So I'm uh, a poet and writer, which means a lot of it's a lot of my uh, not life decisions. That's a big statement, but many of my small daily decisions rely on how I feel about a situation. But I think it's very important, right? Because we that's just insight into emotion is also insight into thought is insight into what could push you to do a certain behavior or not, right? What we like, what we dislike. So honestly, even if you're the kind of person who's you know a checklist person who has pluses and minuses, like in a neat table, my advice for you would still be go with your feelings and don't overthink it. Like don't sit for a week trying to convince yourself that you like a program. If you don't like a program, even if they're the best program, you you don't like the program. There's something there that is going to translate into discomfort for you personally, not because the program is not great. So I honestly went by um, vibes. The places that I liked the most, that I felt I could thrive, that I felt where I would be supported, and where I could imagine myself, I ranked uh, top five. 
So I think I think the advice that you give is 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 to a certain extent follow your instincts and the vibes that you get. Uh, I mean, of course, you need to use your mind, right? But but like a lot of major decisions in life, I think your instinct is is key in this in these things and focus on which program that you like the most, not necessarily what program is ranked the highest because you might not be happy in that program, basically. Yeah. So if you, for example, if you go to a interview in a research uh, heavy program and you're a person who is not that much into, let's say, basic science research, you're not going to be happy if you match in that program. So you don't have to uh, make it work and match there uh, if, if that's yeah. not what you want to. So you you did the ranking, you 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 got you you matched. I'm not going to ask you what what. <laughs> I matched into a place I really like and exactly. and and and, and would have been very happy to match into and wanted to match into. So that's enough information. <laughs> right, and that's the most important thing I think yeah. is that you yeah. match into a place that you're comfortable matching into, and then you uh, got into internship, I guess. So what were your feelings before you started the internship? Like I'm I'm sure. There's a lot of like feelings that arise before you start. Disbelief, first of all. So I'll just like say this like funny thing. I would like text my friends or like when my parents called, I would say, like, can you believe I'm going to be an intern? <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I had, it took some time to convince myself. But um, but when you start, you know, get into the action of it, you're like, yeah, of course, I'm the intern. <laughs> I have to put orders. I'm the intern. Uh, so, uh, and it's a, it's a growth process, right? Because the mentality of a medical student, and, and particularly if you're an IMG, um, of course, we went to a wonderful school. You and I both, both I think, really went to the American University. Yeah, of yeah. And it's a wonderful school, but the culture and training of every institution is different. And also the the presentation and the understanding of what a medical student should be doing and what an intern should be doing is, va- is vastly different. So there's this growth, not only in knowledge base in, in a, or an attitude, but also in the way you think and the way that you are. And it's not an easy growth, but it's a growth that's full of joy. So I would really advise you just like to go with the flow of what's happening and and I know, you know, sometimes in medical culture, it's easy for us to be hard on ourselves and say, you should have done this and you should have done that. But it, I'll tell you, it doesn't do much. So just go with the flow and, and be proactive and just, you know, learn. Yep, yep. And, and so did you do any preparations before? Like where you, like, you started like, opening yes, your books? Yes, I did one big preparation, which was vacation. <laughs> And, and and so once you started, like, how was your first day? How was your, how was day one? Like, it was lovely. Um, I got a lot of support from my program. Uh, the chiefs in our program, I will say this, are stellar individuals and they really supported us. The program director, um, I, I respect a lot and, and admire. So I was very happy to be working with them all. Um, everyone's very nice and, and helpful. So I didn't really have a big uh, pain in, in transitioning. I felt comfortable saying, listen, I don't know. Um, and I like to teach as well. So we are, Westchester Medical Center is um, is, the, is one of the main hospitals for New York Medical College. So we get medical students on our wards. And I found that that was sort of a stimulus for me to hey, say, you know, say to myself, hey, I have, I have people here that I need to help. Beyond my, of course, patients, that's 
a given, right? You want to help patients. But when you feel like in your immediate surroundings, you're no longer the medical student and there's someone out there who is the medical student, I think you feel uh, responsible in a, in a way that brings you uh, joy, again, to use that word. So it pushed me to, to want to be a better intern. Yep. And uh, uh, so how are the work hours? Like, is it, are you doing an 80 hour work week? Are you doing a 40 hour work week? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in my program, we're a, a class of 10, uh, 10 interns. So, um, which ultimately translates into, uh, I have, you know, something around two short calls, which is after you finish your working day at 4.30 or 5, you go to the ER and stay till 9 to see uh, psych emergency uh, folks and a long call, which would be a 12-hour shift on the weekend. Uh, but that's, of course, a regular psych shift. I'm not talking about internal medicine, neurology, and I'm not talking about night floats or swing shifts, which would involve coming in later in the day, and that's a whole different situation. So just the inpatient psych unit is around an 8.30 to 4.30 to 5 uh, situation. And if you're on call, you're on call. Having said that, guys, uh, yeah, you're, you're not always going to finish at 4.30, not because of the workload is, sometimes the workload is a bit high, but not in a way that um, is too distressing, but because you could be slow. It's your first month, first month. And I was slow multiple times and I didn't always leave at 4.30, but uh, yeah, I'm getting better. And here we are doing this wonderful podcast, so... Right, and 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 it's important to be slow to ask, to ask if you don't know if you don't know something, just ask questions to your upper levels because the last thing you want to do is make a mistake, and everybody's I think there to help you. I think that's part of the choice that you make too when you go into a program that you feel good about. You're gonna you're gonna have a good internship because you're gonna have people who are, are gonna help you. Uh, so that's yeah. important uh, from that standpoint. Yeah, and if you make a mistake, it's like not the end of the world. You obviously don't want to make a mistake, and you're. You hope that your mistakes are minor, but in case you feel like you're about to do a mistake or felt that you did a mistake, I would say, uh, I'm not talking about like very big mistakes, right? Because that will be a whole different topic of discussion where we would talk about this differently. But what I'm saying is you have the right to be, to have the courage that you deserve. You have the right to be courageous. Um, and by that, I mean, you have the right to think, to ask, and also to not be afraid to make a mistake. Great, I agree. And and so do you now that you're an intern, like do you work continuously or do you have time to do other things? What's your advice about? I mean, it's very important, I think, in medicine yeah. to have a work-life balance, to have hobbies, to do other things. Do you do you have time to do the hobbies or the things that you like at this point? I want to be a cautious optimist and say that. Uh, I've been baking, which is not a big habit of mine, uh, but I've come up with a few nice recipes and I've been baking, which has been very therapeutic for me. And having said that, uh, yes, you might have time for hobbies and you might even find that new things are blossoming with your new discoveries. So just just welcome the adventure, really. Right, keep an open mind. Change is good and everything new brings things that are new and new, I guess. And so what are you, what are you baking? Like, are you baking... Uh, uh, <laughs> Lebanese food or, or uh, I'm baking sweets like which is which is wild I like oh. yeah I'm like having all these fun ideas for cookies I made a Turkish delight Turkish coffee brown sugar cookie a few days ago no way and I, I kid you not and I was like what is this <laughs> but it tastes nice <laughs> 
can you mail us some? I could email you the recipe. For, for tasty purposes. You <laughs> 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 so can check it out. Uh, or maybe you can start tweeting about the recipes too, adding it to your <laughs> feed. <laughs> so, uh, so what, what's your sign? So just to tell the, the viewers and listeners right now, so, uh, so you're a good writer. I've, I've read a lot of your tweets. So, so can you tell us what you're, where do you write the most? Is it on Twitter? Do you have a website? Uh, what should people follow to be able to uh, read your poetry and your writings? So I've, uh, so I'm a poet and a fiction writer. I've published uh, one work of fiction in uh, Tendon, the John Hopkins uh, Medical Humanities Journal. I have an upcoming poem there. Um, and I've also published a few poems on iPoetry, a local poetry website. But beyond that, a lot of my uh, fiction and poetry is right here on this beautiful laptop. I've written uh, two chapbooks and I'm working on a novella. Uh, and I have a collection of short stories. But uh, the, the whole idea of becoming a better writer, it doesn't necessarily translate into more publication, but rather translate, in, translate into sitting at your desk and working at your own craft. Uh, but having said that, the great news is that one of my poems is going to be published in Tendon, and that poem is part of a larger chapel called First There Was My Country that I started writing after the revolution started. And it's a documentation of all the things we've been through since then. Okay. Yeah, we should hopefully at some point you will you will publish that and we can, yeah. uh, we can follow it. And what's your Twitter handle so people can follow you? It's at... Sarah with an H. I actually don't have it memorized. It's very funny. I'm yeah, going to yeah. uh, look at it right now. So it's at Sarah, E-L-H-A-L-A-B-I, one. Right. And I'll, I'll actually put it on the, uh, when I publish the podcast, I'm going to put it on there too, for people to be able to follow you and follow the interesting things that you write about. But I think in, conclu in, in conclusion, I think what we, I mean, we've discussed the matching process, we've discussed the internship process. I think the key behind all of what you've, what we talked about, especially given the fact that you're a psychiatry intern, is, is follow your follow your intuition, uh, follow your instincts, and uh, make sure to uh, rank the programs that you feel you will be able to fit in, uh, and everything will be fine. I think you just have to take it step by step. Don't get overly anxious. Don't get ahead of yourself. Follow your instincts, and things should be fine. Yeah, and it's easy to say when you're out of it. Uh, and if you're feeling anxious when you're in the match, it's totally normal. Don't be hard. Don't be anxious because you're anxious is another piece of final piece of advice I want to say. And reach out, obviously. Um, and I wish you all the best. So thank you, thank you, Sarah. That was that was a great uh, discussion that we had. Thank you for having me. <laughs>